You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your authority, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone, give us a call. We're going to get to those calls in just a little bit. Uh, I'm not going to do a long open today because in these one-hour shows, I'd like to get to as many calls as I can. We just wrapped up the Great American Truck Show in Dallas. We're on our way back home. We're going to take the long way around, and I've got a couple things I want to stop and take care of on the way. And really, the, the Dallas Truck Show kind of wraps up our year as far as events that we have to prepare for and travel for. We have Louisville in the spring. We have the CMC in May, then Dallas in August, and a couple other little things. But for the most part, I'm kind of done for the year on on big events. So this is the time of year that I can really take my time and work on new creative ideas. And I have some pretty interesting projects. My big uh, challenge now is they are all big projects and I can't do them all. So I have to decide what I'm going to work on for the rest of the year. And I'll keep you updated on that. There's some pretty exciting stuff that might be happening. And I'll let you know. The The truck show this year was really slow. Uh, we'll wait and see what happens when the numbers come out. But I have been going to the Great American Truck Show in Dallas since the very first year that it started. And I can't remember. I'm thinking it was like, either 99 or 2000, somewhere back there. So 15, 16 or so years I've been going to that show. And the last several years, it's been getting smaller. And this year was really about the slowest show I've seen. Uh, On Thursday, I did three presentations every day, which was a record for me, nine presentations during that show. On Thursday, the first one I had scheduled was pretty early, uh, and it is Thursday, I get that. But literally, when we were supposed to start, there was nobody there. Nobody. Um, So I started talking anyway. We were doing a little thing on the show floor in the truckstop.com booth. And the good thing was, by the time I finished an hour later, I probably had 30-some people there, which was actually more than we had room for. We were expecting small groups of maybe 15 or 20. Um, I felt very, very fortunate that even though the show was really slow, every time I spoke, all nine times virtually, I had a good crowd. I had a really good crowd. So I I was very pleased with that. I want to thank everybody that um, kind of followed me around. A lot of times it was... um, some of the same people, which is good. But I, I also spoke to a lot of new people, partners in business, which is a the big seminar of the week. We were virtually full in that room too. So again, 
well, very fortunate. But I think the show itself was really quiet. Um, this has been a trend of truck shows lately, though. The Las Vegas truck show did this. It got a little smaller every year, and then finally it got canceled. The OEs have pulled out of Louisville. They said they're only going to do it every other year. So that year's going to get, or that show's going to get much smaller. Dallas, I think, was small this year. I don't know what's going to happen next year. There, there's a, a big group that has announced a new show um, that's going to be in Atlanta, I think, starting next year. And they say it's going to be very, very large, but it sounds more like it's a business-to-business trade show, not necessarily a consumer show. But that will still pull resources away from the other shows. If a company decides they're going to go to this big show in Atlanta, what will they give up? Will they pull out of one of the other shows? And actually, when I started seeing this and I was wondering why, I went and did some research. And it turns out that this is a trend in every industry. Trade shows are shrinking in almost every industry. And I was wondering why. And I got thinking, you know, it could be technology. Trade shows were really designed to, to really showcase new products, new ideas, new services, where it may have been difficult to get the word out. For example, 20 years ago, if I had a new product or a new service and I wanted you to know about it, the only way for me to do that was really expensive. Radio, TV, newspaper, those were the ways. Maybe magazine. Magazine's expensive too. So if you had to take out big ads or run commercials, that was expensive. Trade shows, although they're expensive too, was a way to get your product out in front of a lot of people. Well, now we have social media. And I really think that may be part of what's driving this shrinking of trade shows is because it's easy to show off anything you do immediately and cheaply on social media. So, and that was one of the things the, the big truck manufacturers said about Louisville is, look, we don't have something to show off every year. We're going to come every other year. So I really think that that's just an overall trend of truck shows. So I think what you what you see more of is not necessarily trade shows where there are just a lot of vendors showing off what they have. Those are shrinking. What is growing are business conferences where you go to get very specific training and knowledge and education and seminars and workshops and breakout sessions, which is the direction we've been going in with our CMC for over 10 years now. So um, speaking of the CMC, by the way, part of what we are doing while we're out on the road right now and between now and the time we get back to Oregon, we have several locations possible locations for the CMC that we're going to check out. Um, we liked being at the Mac Center, but it's missing some things that we really needed to make the CMC a, a big success. It was a success, but we're really picky. We do a lot of surveys. We ask people a lot of questions, and, and we paid attention. And there were some things missing from the Mac Center, primarily 
having everything under one roof the way that we did in Kansas City. In Kansas City, we had restaurants, uh, stores, shops, virtually everything we needed was right there under one roof. You didn't have to leave the property. All the, the food was, it was easier for us to provide better food because the food was on site. In Council Bluffs, we had to cater everything in, so I wasn't as happy with the food. Uh, we had pretty good reviews on it, but the cost was also higher. If we were to go back to the Mac Center again, now that we know, we would have to significantly raise the price of the ticket to the CMC, and we don't want to do that. So our mission is to find our next location. We may end up going back to the Mac Center. We may end up going back to Harris in Kansas City, but we have some ideas and some possible locations, and we're on a mission, so we're out checking those out. Hey, I'm going to get to a call real quick, and then uh, we'll get to a break, and then we'll come back and get to more calls. James in Kansas, welcome to the program. How's it going, Kevin? Uh, yeah, I just, I just wanted to, uh, yeah, I just wanted to, uh, share some successes through your guidance and also ask you a, a couple, uh, health related questions. All right. Um, the one thing is, okay, the last time I called you, I, I had a problem with passing, uh, my physical, my DOT, DOT physical, because your blood pressure has to be below 140 over 90. And mine typically is around 143 and, uh, oh, you know, and uh, 91. But when I actually took that DOT, I made the mistake of being on five-hour energies that day, and it was like 178 over 100. So they didn't pass me. Wow. So, that was so, um, so uh, I took your suggestion as far as, of course, dropping the uh, five-hour energies, not going on any caffeine, uh, increasing my uh, – my vegetable intake, right, and lowering my protein, also doing sprint walks. I take a distance, a flat distance, like in a parking lot that's about 60, uh, 60 yards, and I'll sprint back and forth and then walk one length of it and just do that for about 10 minutes. And, that's, and, if, you, and if you rest for about uh, 10 minutes after that and do some meditation, I've had my blood pressure as low as 106 over 70 after doing that good, and good um, strategy uh, hey hold that yeah did you get to a break we'll be right back yeah that's an excellent strategy by the way um because you're right exactly what you described is probably one of the most powerful ways of lowering blood pressure quickly that that intensive exercise kind of a high intensity interval training and then some relaxation and meditation We'll, uh, we'll come right back. We'll talk more about it right after this. Stick around. Kevin Robinson.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. Before the break, just talking with James in Kansas. So, uh, James, good thinking, and uh, it seemed to work out really yeah. well for you. Well, and it, it did because when I was in Walcott, I was at, at the Iowa 80. I was able to um, get my uh, my physical completed, and, and it, I had a full physical, and it was like 135 over 84 is when he took my blood pressure, and he gave me a full one-year uh, medical. So I, I had a lot of success with that. Um, also, some success over time since I've been listening to you as far as health is concerned for the first time since I've been in the military, which was six years ago, I'm below 200 pounds. I've lost nearly 80 pounds in, within that time wow. frame. So, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was over 280 pounds at one time, yeah. And um, uh, I have a specific question about my, my sister. She's not, she doesn't complain about her health or anything, but they did take her gallbladder out. And I know BioSalt is a, is a supplement you need to take after that procedure in order to uh, – it, it's to digest fats, right? Correct. That's the reason why you take BioSalt? Is yeah, that the only thing me, she needs sir. to do with this problem? Um, well, as far as the gallbladder being removed, yes. that That's the only thing that has to happen. And I want to clarify, because a lot of people, I know this word sounds like one thing, and then they go to look for it. Um, the the term is bile, B-I-L-E, bile salts. A lot of people ask me, I can't find those bio salts. salts. Yeah, yeah, bile yeah. salts, B-I-L-E salts, because our liver produces bile and bile is what digests fat the liver produces it but the gallbladder meters it out so the gallbladder senses how much fat you just ate in the meal and then says okay we need this much bile to digest that fat that's the job of the gallbladder well once you take your gallbladder out the liver keeps producing bile but there's no valve anymore. So every time the liver produces it, it just leaks into your intestine. People without a gallbladder will find that if they go a long time without eating, they will get a lot of stomach upset and diarrhea because the bile just keeps getting released and it has nothing to do. So it just irritates the rest of the digestive tract. So one thing that people without a gallbladder should do is they should eat regular meals. Um, and I'm not really promoting that thing that they've been telling us, though, eat all these small meals all day long. That's just that's not a good idea. People with a gallbladder, for example, I still have my gallbladder. I can go like during the show, the, the truck show, I would get up in the morning, I would have my bulletproof coffee, I would go to the show, and we get so busy at the show, I wouldn't eat all day. By the time the show was over, we wound down, we got out of there, we went to dinner somewhere, I was probably eating my first meal of the day at 7 or 8 o'clock at night. And that's just fine. That's actually healthy to do that. If you don't have a gallbladder, though, it's not a good idea. If you don't have a gallbladder, you should probably eat at least three meals a day. And that way, okay. there's always food that's – and there should be fat in those meals. There should be fat in every one of those meals. And that way, the bile that's being released has something to work on. Then on top of that, what will happen, though, is if you eat a high-fat meal, which is really the best way to eat, but you don't have a gallbladder, 
there won't be enough bile being released. That's why we take the bile salt as a supplement with each meal. And over time, uh, you learn how to kind of meter it yourself. You know, if you're going to have a cup of bulletproof coffee and it has two tablespoons of butter and two tablespoons of coconut oil, one bile salt tablet might work for you. Or you may find that two work better. If you eat a big meal and it's heavy and fat, you may find that you take three and three works really good. But you just kind of play around yeah. with it. And, and But that's that's what has to happen. The bile salt is there because we don't have that meter anymore. Yeah, what's a good source for that bile salt? I know, it's, I know you have it on your website. Can you just get it from Amazon also? You can. You can get bile salts in other places. And, and if you get it somewhere else, I have no idea what you're getting. You know, the supplement that we have, we know the quality, we know the purity. It has some really good other. So there's another issue with the bile that the, our liver produces. People who have been on low-fat diets for a long time, which is usually why they had to have their gallbladder removed. Yeah, and that's why she yeah, had to have her, her gallbladder removed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, nobody told her that. Yeah. But it like almost everything in our body, if we don't use it, it stops functioning properly. And if you're on a low-fat diet, which is not healthy, your gallbladder isn't working because there's no fat to digest. And your liver stops right. producing as much bile, and the bile gets thick and sticky. So now when you do go to eat right. fat, you get an upset stomach because nothing's working right. So the bile salt that hey. we sell is a combination of bile salt and and support for the liver and some nutrients that help thin out the bile so it flows better. Yeah. One question. Uh, one quick question though, Kevin. Does the caffeine in cacao increase your blood pressure? Here's an interesting thing. I can't believe we've been told this for so long. Raw cacao has almost no caffeine. We've been told forever okay. that, oh, what, be careful with chocolate because it has caffeine. Test raw cacao. It can have anywhere from zero, none whatsoever, to about, uh, I think it's, I forget the measurement, like 1,000 milligrams per so much, which is even at its highest level is about 120th the amount of caffeine that's in okay. coffee. Here's why we get confused about this. Cacao has a component in it called theobromine. And theobromine acts somewhat like caffeine. It, it's a neurotransmitter exciter. It, it does stimulate um, the nervous system. But it does it in a very different way from caffeine. So you do get some of that same kind of energy feeling, but it's not caffeine. And the interesting thing is caffeine will increase blood pressure. So if you have high blood pressure, you should cut out caffeine. Theobromine lowers blood pressure. There is a, oh, okay. an island somewhere off of South America where a lot of cacao grows. So the inhabitants, the people who lived there for centuries, drink like five or six cups a day of beverages made from raw cacao and they have like the lowest blood pressure on the planet oh, okay okay good 
All right. Good stuff. Thanks for the call. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of the health questions, I did my first health seminar um, at a truck show at, at Dallas this uh, past weekend, and it was really interesting. I was standing room only. The theater for the health pavilion wasn't very big, so it was standing room only, very popular uh, presentation I gave. The interesting thing was, though, by the time I finished, half of the people who were standing there listening and asking questions weren't truck drivers. The audio guy that was running the audio board was asking questions. The vendors that were in the health pavilion were asking questions and paying attention. It was uh, it was very satisfying to do that. Let's go to Illinois. John, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. I've been getting a lot of headlights in the face here, and I'm just wondering, I just put a new pair of headlights on my truck. Is there a certain formula to calculate where to set your headlight angle that you know of? I don't, I don't know of a formula. Um, I try to set my headlights. When I adjust my headlights on my vehicles, I try to set them as far out as I can. I do tend to bring them in some towards the center or even to the right a little bit. That way it allows me to set them out higher without necessarily bothering the people in the other lane. But then the other thing that's been changing recently is all the different types of headlights now and in the intensity. So some of them you can set way out. Some of them, if you try to set out that far, they kind of die without really hitting the ground. So I, I don't know of a formula. I think it's one of those things you just have to play around with. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll adjust my headlights at night. After I adjust it, I can go out and see. Is anybody flashing me the lights? If so, mine are probably adjusted too high. And then I bring them down until nobody flashes me anymore. But I want them as far out, as high as I can get them. And then, like I say, I'll either bring them in towards the center. I'll actually take them out to the right so they're not affecting other people. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep, it does. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. There's the music. I'm going to get to a break. If there is a formula, by the way, maybe there is. I just don't know of one. But if there is one and somebody wants to let me know, uh, either give me a call or send me an email to support at letstruck.com. We'll be right back. Kevin Ruff. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The number to join us, 8888 Road Dog. The website is Let's Truck.com. I'm going to head off to California. Paul, welcome to the program. 
Hey, Kevin, how are you doing today? Thanks. Good. What can I help you with? Hello. Um, I had a quest, couple questions about some work I had done on my truck. Um, I took it in for an overhead because it was running really rough and the power was low. And they did the overhead and they also did an ECM tune. And the truck's running smoother and it's got better power now, but my fuel economy has gone down. Is there something they could have done in the ECM tune that would have caused that? Absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're, that is the single biggest factor today in fuel economy, by the way. You know, we talk about things like aerodynamics being the number one factor in fuel economy, and it is. The thing is, we're just not going to change our aerodynamics very much. You know, we can throw on some air tabs, we can throw on a flow below, that'll improve aerodynamics, we see a benefit. But the things that we can change, the one single biggest item that can affect fuel economy is that ECM tune. Now, what kind of a shop was this? Was this some like a factory shop, like a truck dealer, or? No, this was um, just a general shop a lot of people use down in Fontana, California. It's called JNR Fleet Services. Okay, so they're an independent. The reason I ask that, if you yeah. go to a factory shop, whether it's a truck dealer or an engine manufacturer dealer, they are only going to put in what we could call an official tune. You know, they have files that are provided to them by the OEs, and that's all they right. will install. In fact, by law, it's about all they are allowed to install. And technically, if they see anything other than that kind of a tune, they have a tendency to replace it. So having said that, independent shops, I've seen them do all kinds of crazy things in the ECM. And we're seeing this more and more, and we're seeing really bad tunes. We're seeing tunes that do what happened to you. They either kill fuel economy or they are causing maintenance nightmares with the truck. Um, I've seen some tunes that are literally wiping out engines because they're just putting way too much fuel to the cylinder to try to produce a lot of horsepower. But it, it, it's, it's kind of okay. like trying to fix a motherboard with a hammer. You know, they're just, they don't have any finesse. They don't really know what they're doing. And just to give you an example some of these ECMs have tens of thousands of parameters that can be changed. And if you don't know what you're doing, you can really create some problems in that ECM. We see people, we see shops that don't know how to program this right. And one of the things that they do in order to make their program work is they have to turn off all the safety shutdowns. That That's a really bad oh. way of doing it. They don't know the right way of doing it, but they found a hack. You know, oh, if we turn off all these safety shutdowns, then the ECM lets us do this. Well, that's a really, really bad idea. But we see it all the time. Yeah. So I, I've been trying to tell people, you have got to be very, very careful about who you let mess around with your ECM. 
Yeah, they they had said that um, something about that it was due for an update. Like there's some kind of an update maybe that's released for these things. I don't know, and but they said it, it hadn't there. been updated in a very long time, and that it needed a, a, what they referred to as an ECM tune update. And I was like, okay, well go ahead and do it since you're there. And like I said, the truck runs better and smoother now, and seems to have a little better power than it did because the overhead was out. But my fuel economy's gone down to where it's like now I'm struggling to get to seven, whereas before before my overhead went out, I was getting easily, you know, seven and a half most of the time if I wasn't too heavy. Yep, not not unusual. The other thing I'll tell you is if we're watching oil samples, your soot will probably go up because of the way they tuned it. Do you get to either Pittsburgh, Chicago, or Kansas City very often? No, but I'm I'm having the feeling I may be going that way. <laughs> yeah, and and the reason I say any of those three, Pittsburgh Power has a very exciting program they just launched. They have put together a program where they go out and they find a shop. They have an entire laptop software bundles, all this stuff they've developed. And the, like our favorite shop in Kansas City, T&E, they were the first one to get this package in the training. So you can pull in there, uh-huh. they'll plug in the Pittsburgh Power laptop, they'll read the ECM, they'll figure it out, they'll make recommendations, they'll ask you about your operation, they'll ask you what you're trying to accomplish. And the good thing is, is even if they run into a problem they don't understand, Pittsburgh Power is a phone call away, and the engineers at Pittsburgh Power can log in to your ECM remotely. So if you're sitting in Kansas City and T&E maybe can't figure something out, they call up Pittsburgh Power, Pittsburgh Power engineers log into the system and they can work on your ECM remotely. So they also have a shop in uh, oh. Chicago that can do it. And we're going to start expanding that service out around the country. Okay. That sounds interesting. Um, one other question. They put it on the dyno. Now, I've got a Cummins 455. It's an 09 Peterbilt. And I asked them what kind of horsepower that it was showing up, you know, to the ground after they did everything. And he said it was 360. Is that normal to be at like 80% of whatever the. It, it, it might be a tad low, but it's really close. We usually say somewhere between 80 and 85% of rated horsepower is what's going to make it to the wheel. Okay. So then it's, it's fairly right in there then. Okay. It's pretty close. Yeah, that wouldn't indicate um, what if, any kind of a problem. Okay, if if I was to do the Pittsburgh Power, have them do the ECM tune on it, um, what what do you think I could expect from that as far as like maybe fuel economy or horsepower or anything like that? Horsepower, they can give you just about anything you want. Now, they, they usually won't. People come in and want 800 horsepower, and they'll usually talk them out of that. (laughs) A a really good place on that engine is somewhere between 550 to 600 horsepower, um, somewhere in the low fives to mid fives to the wheel. Not so, 
you know, when, when they're, they're actually at about 360 at the wheel, you could go probably 150 more than that. And that's a really healthy uh-huh. place to be. Love driving it. It will still get great fuel economy. Won't put any extra stress on the engine. In fact, the engine will actually last longer at that setting. So the horsepower, you can pick and choose. They can give you just about anything you want. Fuel economy, the gain will depend on how much horsepower you request and how much of it you use. But to give you a quick example, my coach, which was at about 4.7 fuel economy when I'm pulling around my car hauler, um, with their tune and me driving it for fuel economy, I went from 4.7 to 5.7, a full mile per gallon increase. Wow. Okay. All right. And then is that uh, to do the ECM tune and have that through Pittsburgh? Is that uh, a real expensive deal or like ballpark? You have an it's idea really what not. around what it would be? Um, you know, I, I don't try to keep up with prices on stuff like that because I'm usually wrong, but it's not bad. It's one of the more cost effective things you can do. Because think about it. If we pull out a mile per gallon, if we pull out a half mile per gallon, we're going to save four or $5,000 a year in fuel cost. It's less than half that. So it's a payback in sometimes as little as three or four months. That's almost impossible to get with, with most things. Let's go to Texas. Alan, welcome to the program. How are you doing, Kevin? Good. What's on your mind today? Yes, Kevin, I called you uh, last week about this uh, truck I purchased and uh, about it had burnt and everything. So I, I got uh, the adjuster and everything. He got back with me with a price on uh, what I will be getting. And uh, well, I paid uh, $18,780 okay. for the truck. Hold that thought. There's, there's the music. Let me get to a break. We'll come back and we'll talk about the numbers right after this. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rothenberg. Quick heads up, we're heading into the fourth segment of the first hour. Um, We are going to do a second hour because I have quite a few questions I won't be able to get to in this first hour. But I can tell you right now, um, if you press one on your phone right now, you will be able to get in for that second hour. I don't have enough questions to get me through an entire hour, so you have room to get in. The sooner you press one on your phone, the better your chances will be. Here we go. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let's Truck.com. We're down to the final 
segment, I'm going to get right back to the calls. I was talking with Alan in Texas. Alan, go ahead. Yes, sir. I uh, was talking about the truck. I purchased a truck for 18700 uh, I was saying I was having all kinds of issues with it. The first week I put it to work, I didn't get a full week of work of it. Uh, and it um, on about the fourth day or so, it caught fire. You know, I got claim back with the truck. I guess after everything for the towing and storage for it, I'm looking to get right at 16 back for the claim. Okay. Um, and what I was saying too, I had yeah. put all right four thousand forty one hundred dollars in the truck before you know trying to get the thing, you know, get it running right because I had problem with my temps going up. Right. You know, that that's probably the best you're going to do. And, and here's why. This is how insurance works, and this is how insurance has always worked. You know, you, you bought the truck for a specific price. When you go to insure it, they always ask you, how much do you want to insure it for? We usually give them, or actually they ask you what you paid for it normally. And that's what they claim they're insuring it for. But they're not. This This drives me crazy about insurance. They'll say, how much did you pay for the truck? And in your case, let's say it was 18000 I paid 18000 Okay, we're going to charge you for $18,000 worth of coverage. And that's, that, that's how they do it. They multiply 18000 by their rate to come up with how much they're going to charge you. The problem I have is that's not how much they're going to give you back. Because if you would have paid 30000 for this truck, they would have charged you more, but they still will only insure it for the fair market value at the time when it becomes totaled or stolen or whatever happens to it. So if I overpay for a truck, I'm really getting screwed. If I pay $30,000, but the market value is really only 20, it doesn't matter if I total it the same day I get my insurance or the same day I bought it. They're only going to cover 20. I, it just makes me insane. If if that's all the coverage I'm getting, that's all the coverage they should charge me for. But that's not the way insurance works. So it doesn't matter how much money you put into your individual truck. They're only going to pay back the fair market value of that make and model of truck with that many miles. So if you modify your truck heavily or put a lot of money into it, you either have to know that if something happens, you're not going to get it back from insurance, or you have to find an insurance company that will allow you to pay for more coverage and get more coverage. And that's actually pretty rare. Uh, it can be done. We looked for insurance companies. We found them. Yeah, but this is, this is a truck that I, what I call, I told you, when I bought the truck, they told me it had 895,000 uh, 895, miles on it. And come to find it, it had 1.2. And I did talk to the guy, you know, that's supposed to be the supervisor at the dealership because I was really considered taking it back. And he told me to just go ahead and run it when I get it to run. And if I had any issues, give him a call back. And I called him and called him and I hadn't got a return call from him. And the last time I called no, here's was last, was about Friday. And, uh, I told okay. him I was going to you know, have a lawyer to call him, you know, because I'm really, you know, I'm really disappointed in what he done me. And that's, that's really what I'm trying to get to is that's your only hope. 
you have a dealer who ripped you off on a truck because he, he sold you a truck under false pretenses. They didn't tell you the correct mileage. You have an insurance company that is just going to say, look, we fulfilled our contract. You bought this much wow. insurance. We paid you back. We have nothing to do with the fact that the dealer ripped you off. But the dealer, this is, this is part of the problem in the real world. People, you know, they don't seem to understand that, yes, there are laws. Yes, we have contracts. Those are all good things. But when somebody will not uphold their contract or somebody breaks the law or breaches a contract, how do we remedy the situation is what happens in the real world. And it's what people don't understand. They, they think, oh, but he ripped me off. He has to pay this. Well, yeah, he probably does. But how do you force somebody? The only way is to take them to court, which is time consuming and expensive. And this really freaks people out. You take somebody to court, you spend all the time and all the money, you get a judgment, force them to pay you. The court doesn't enforce those things most of the time. The court will say, look, you have a judgment. Here it is. Now what? Now what if the guy still refuses to pay? You have to take him back to court to try to enforce the judgment. It, it, it's, it's really, that is our system. It's unfortunate. So sometimes I warn people, look, if, if you got 16 out of them, that's probably as good as you're going to get. Now, you have clearly have the right to take them to court, to take the dealer to court. You can take anybody you want. But you have to look at the cost, the time, the expense, and what the odds are that you're ever going to collect from anybody. Okay. Kevin, I have a couple other questions you know, about two other trucks I was looking at. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was uh, looking at a 2000 Freightliner FLD. Uh, they say the truck has uh, 734, but I'm kind of, you know, since this last thing, I'm, I'm hesitant about that. Uh, it's a one thirteen four. It's got a in fourteen. Run a rig dig report. That that was right. that yeah, is definitely. the one. Absolutely, run a rig dig report. And then if it looks like there might be a discrepancy, like you know, here's the thing: if we run a rig dig report, that odometer has to get recorded. Um, on DOT inspections, the odometer gets recorded when the title transfers. So what happens sometimes is I'll look at a vehicle where they claim it as 700000 but I'll find a, a title transfer from two years ago that says it had 860000 on it two years ago. So there's usually, if the odometer's been altered or changed or it's not correct, I can almost always figure that out from a rig dig. So the okay. truck you just described to me, love the truck. An FLD, 2000 FLD is pretty hard to beat. N14 is rock solid. If it really had that number of miles, I would give them $13,000 in a heartbeat. But I would want to verify okay. that mileage first through the rig dig. So, um, okay. yeah, work on that absolutely get a rig dig done but that is a truck i would be very interested in and i think that's an excellent price on it by the way as well let's uh let's go to georgia john welcome to the program 
Yeah, how you doing today? Uh, What's on your mind? Question I had for you. I was listening to one of your uh, shows over the weekend, where you reruns or whatever, and you were talking about uh, some supplements to help out uh, crack pills and stuff, which uh, I don't really have that problem, but what I do have is uh, uh, kind of crepe paper skin, you know, where the skin gets real kind of wrinkly and especially on my left arm, you know, sitting on the windshield, uh, on the window ledge. Yeah, you know, I've been yeah. driving for about thirty something years, and uh, anyway, the skin is real wrinkly and it's real thin. Where so, if I just bought it, it'll either either bruise up or it'll uh, it'll cut. You know, I can just rub it against something, of course, and it'll just cut the skin. Is there uh, you right. got some supplements? Because I know you were saying that the uh, the creams I've been using all kinds of different, trying all kinds of different creams, and they don't really seem to help much. Yeah. Yeah, they don't, and they're just subjecting our body to a lot of toxins. You know, we we should really stop using all the creams and lotions. We should pay attention to the soaps we use. We should try to make them as natural as possible. You know, one of the things the medical community just doesn't seem to tell us is that our skin is the largest organ in our body, and our skin will absorb things right through it. Just like you can put on a nicotine patch and your body will absorb the nicotine, we can put on medications that way. Everything we put on our skin is is being introduced into our body. So the lotions are just a cover-up. They're just a Band-Aid. Um, what you have to do is you have to get more good, healthy fat in your diet, and you have to be able to digest it. So the supplement I was talking about really doesn't have anything to do with making your skin healthier. What it does is help you digest fat, and the fat is what's going to make your skin healthier. Fat is really, really good for your skin. There's another product, and and we don't have it in our store yet. Um, Are are you drinking Bulletproof Coffee? Have you heard me talking about that? Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of on a ketogenic diet, but uh, not 100%, you know. Okay. Well, if you if you call us, I'm all out of time, so I've got to wrap this up. But if you give us a call, um, talk with Kim. Kim will help you out with the supplements, um, and she'll get you on the bile salts, which will help you digest the fats better, um, and that's what's going to help make your skin better. Um, we'll also be talking about sometime soon a product called Collagelatin that you can put in your Bulletproof coffee that's really good for skin, joints, hair, eyes, all of those things. We'll be talking about that more this week on Destination Health. I've got to get out of here. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining me. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. Kevin Rutherford. All right, we're going to do another hour, so uh, if you haven't lined up a question yet, go ahead and press 1 on your phone right now. We might be able to get to you. Here we go.
your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your authority, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and join us here. You know, I had a call on the last show, and I want to talk about that topic a little bit. He had a very unfortunate situation. He bought a used truck. The dealer misrepresented the mileage on the truck, which is a problem. Then within a week, and he had put quite a bit of money into the truck, getting it ready to get on the road. And then within a week, the truck burnt down. Now the insurance company doesn't want to give him nearly as much as what he has into it. The dealer's blowing him off. That's a bad situation. It is. I hate any good advice for somebody that's in that situation. But all you can do is is maybe threaten them with a lawsuit, get an attorney to write a letter. If If that doesn't work, then you have to take them to court. And that is expensive and time-consuming. There's no guarantee you're going to win. If you do win, there's no guarantee you're actually going to get paid anything by anybody. So what I'm getting to is, again, how important it is to build relationships and use those relationships as often as possible. And I realize you can't always, but the more often you work with people you know and trust, the less exposure you will have to problems like this. So whether it's repair shops, if you have a good relationship with them, use them as often as you can, you will have less likelihood of this happening, even truck dealers. So for example, when I was buying trucks and running trucks, I had a couple of dealers that I had bought trucks off of in the past, and I would go back to them. I would even go as far to say, look, guys, I I could go look for this truck, but here's what I want. I want this make. I want this year. I want this model. I want this engine. I want this transmission. You go find it for me. You go look at the auctions. You go look. And if you find me this truck, I will buy it from you instead of me going out and finding some new dealer that I've never worked with before. Again, I realize if, it, if you're buying your first truck, there's no way to already have a relationship. But keep that in mind. Always be working on building relationships and using those relationships, working with those people over and over. Let's, uh, let's get to some phone calls to kick off the show tonight. Let's go to Wisconsin. Steve, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Hey there. You got, a, you got an oil sample there. Uh, it's actually from uh, one of my friends I've been working with. Uh, I had him at the CMC. Uh, you'll remember the guy that lost 150 pounds who was in a wheelchair before, and uh, you remember him by that. I think we talked a bit when uh, you and me and him yes. at the CMC. Yes, yeah. I do. And uh, 
I think he's got a great engine there. <laughs> it's a six NC, by the way. He uh, he didn't fill out all the information, but uh, six NC uh, could have one point two, but yeah, it could have been rebuilt. He only uses a gallon of oil every twelve thousand miles. And other than him sticking a, a gallon of Lucas in there when he changed the oil twenty five thousand miles ago, I don't see anything wrong with it myself. Do you see anything else? There other than no, a, this, the is a, this is a beautiful oil sample. You're right. He has got a keeper here in this engine. There, Yeah, the viscosity is high, but you explained that. There's some Lucas in there. The fuel dilution is nothing. I mean, I wouldn't even think about that right now. And everything else just looks amazing. Oh, it does. I said if it wasn't for the viscosity, I would have thought it put it out of the, out of the jar or into the, out of the, uh, out of the uh, gallon container into the uh, sample. <laughs> it looks a lot yeah. better than mine, let's put it, let's put it that way. Uh, so, yeah, uh, yeah, no, I, it I, looks I told excellent. him he's got a keeper. Yeah, so he, uh, yeah, he was concerned. He was thinking, oh, it's got, they have 1.2. He was talking about going ahead and rebuilding. I said, no, 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 no. no. I said, you know, oil no. consumption is, yeah, yeah. And, and like I say, this, this may be one of those that will go up closer to, I don't know that he's got 1.2 on it. Yeah, you know, it may have been rebuilt at some point, but even if it wasn't, you do get those engines that are so. Well, those cats are very tight. They're not. They're not gonna. They're not gonna right. give you the problems that uh, you know oil consumption wise. So uh, I think you got a great engine there, though, and uh, he just wanted your confirmation. <laughs> no, you you read this one right. You are absolutely correct. This is a great engine, and I wouldn't touch it. I wouldn't do. I wouldn't even do an overhead on this engine. I would just drive it. Yeah, yeah, I think so, too. Uh, uh, have you got time for a quick help question? Sure, go ahead. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I just I thought, I thought about this. Uh, I was in line the other day and lost the call three times. <laughs> so uh, I didn't get to it. It was during uh, Destination Health. But, uh, uh, yeah, I uh, probably... Uh, I probably need, I, I've been doing ketogenic, and, I, and I'm down to around 200 pounds. I'd like to get to 180. You, you saw me at the CMC. I, you know, I could lose another 20 around the middle, and it would be just about right. But uh, um, but I have kind of got to that point where I've, you know, I've kind of, I feel like I'm fit, but, you know, I, I really need to go a little further. I need to go a little cleaner with things. So um, even with me, um, I'm, I'm thinking that, I probably need to try both of your uh, supplements that you're, you've been you've been recommending because I do get it's not acid reflux. I get a little reflux. It's not acidic uh, uh, yeah. very much. But, but you know, my flap does. Uh, if I eat, uh, you know, if I eat a fair amount, I can't eat a lot of food. If I eat a lot of food. I, I'm broken up a lot. So I'm I'm okay. thinking that you know the more I think about it, the more you talk about it, I probably need to do the HCL test. For sure. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now, honestly, okay, well, I, I think I think everybody listening to me needs to do the HCL test. It's, I, I have not found a person yet who has let's let's use the phrase passed the test, meaning they took one HCL tablet and felt the burn. I haven't found a single person yet. So if you can take one and not feel the burn, that means you need at least one every time you eat. So I haven't found anybody who has actually passed that test yet. Everybody who has tried it 
needs the HCL support, at least for a while. For me, I ended up taking it for about six, uh, six weeks or so, maybe two months. I don't really take them anymore. Right. Uh, now the, and the bile salts and the liver uh, enzyme, um, I, I do eat pretty ketogenic. So obviously, um, you know, I, I, probably, I probably need, uh, I probably will get better uh, fat absorption. I still have, I've, it's been a year, and I still have, the only autoimmune uh, response I have is, uh, is psoriasis. It has not gone away. So that kind of tells me that i still got a little bit of gut health to work on. So the eating cleaner might mean doing some fermented vegetables and some things like that. I do take a probiotic, but I probably need to change it, change it up some because I'm, yeah, I kind of use the same one all the time, and I probably need to switch them a little bit so I'll get some different uh, cultures maybe yes. uh, in that. But uh, yep. but, I, but 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 now the bile, the, the enzymes in the bile, bile salts that, that are in it, uh, does is there a certain way you know uh, when that when you when you probably got to the point where you not need that again um you know, yeah what you'll typically find now it's fairly simple on the um and i'm still taking the bile salts by the way i'm not taking the hcl anymore but i am taking the bile salts if i eat a high fat meal because i can feel my digestion work better Kind of hard to describe, but but if I take the bile salts with a high-fat meal, I feel my digestion work better. The way to know when you don't need the bile salts anymore or you're taking too many of them is you'll get a little bit of diarrhea. Too, too much of the bile salt or taking the bile salt when you don't really need it because your body's producing enough of its own, you'll just start to get a little bit of diarrhea and then you back off or quit. So it's pretty simple to know that one too. Okay, well that's good. That's good. I, I, a little uh, a tip that uh, I read in one of the books. I think it was Dr. Hyman's book. It works. Uh, you squish uh, a tablespoon of uh, of coconut oil around your mouth for 10 to 15 minutes every day. It will dissolve the plaque between down in your down in your teeth where it's, you would normally have the dentist clean. It it has done it for me. You know what? It's uh, something I haven't really talked a lot about, but I do myself. It's actually called oil pulling. There's a term for it. It's been around in Ayurvedic medicine for thousands and thousands of years. Take a tablespoon of coconut oil, just like you said, and kind of swish it around uh, 10, 15, even 20 minutes. And it's really, really good at cleaning your mouth and pulling toxins out as well. It's almost like a little mini detox. Stick around. We'll be right back with Kevin Rutherford. Kevin Rutherford. We're going to get right back to the phone calls. We're off to California. Adam, welcome to the program. Hey, good afternoon, Kevin. Um, 
Hey, what's fine? Well, uh, well, today I, 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 um, I did try to get to you guys out in Dallas, but it, uh, it just happened to end up on the week that I left. The first time this year, they give me a, a Houston delivery for some reason out of the blue, and uh, so I had about 18 hours to do 900 miles from Houston to Albuquerque on Saturday, so I wasn't able to get through there. Um, uh, I will get you guys some garlic. I will get you guys some garlic, though. And uh, yeah, the question is, I got 680 on the truck now, and uh, I, I'm gonna. I want to do a. I want to do a, a gear oil change. And uh, okay. Lucas carries a 75-140 and an 85-140. W- which one would be the better one, or does it matter? It does matter. I, I I really like to use the lowest viscosity oil I can use without compromising protection. So the, the, the Lucas 75-140, is it a, a differential oil? Is it Does it say it's made for the differential? Yes. Then then I would use the 75, the lighter weight. The thing we have to okay. be careful of with the differentials, the transmission, we can go really, really light, and it will still work. The differentials, we have to be careful because the differentials, there's so much force on the gears when they mesh that the differentials require some very special additives uh, to protect that uh, that uh, shear, the the film. Um, so we always want to make sure that the lube we're putting into differentials is rated for differentials. But if it is, then I'd like to use the lowest viscosity possible. Uh, in this case, I would use that 75. All right. Yeah, I'm I'm heading into, I'm heading into Corona today, so that's where their facility is. I'm going to go down there and pick up some, take it back to the. Florida and get it done, and then um, also good. the uh, some some good news. Uh, the house that truck driving built is almost uh, it's all done. We're just waiting to get the final touches and sign the paperwork for closing. Wow, that's exciting! Congratulations. It's yeah, it's pretty cool. It's it's uh you know took I can't say it took a long time. I I was able to accomplish this. I we started the company in 2010. So that's not long. It all at worked all. out. That, yeah, that, that that is fantastic. You guys have done some amazing things. Congratulations. So we're just waiting to close on that, and and uh, the tires, the tires that um, the tires that David trued for me on my steers, um, all the tires are working out pretty well. You know, I got ten new tires on, and uh, it, it's going, it's it, it's it's going pretty good. So I appreciate the time. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. That's exciting. I love hearing success stories like that. People that that do the right stuff, do the hard work, follow through, they're patient, and they get rewarded for it. And that's a great example. I love that. Let's go to Ohio. Gene, welcome to the program. How are we doing today, Kevin? Good. What's on your mind? Hey, I uh, I spoke to you about a month ago or so, and I had a a little decision to come up against, and not sure which way it's working, but I stayed in a truck. But whenever you had looked at my business report, you had indicated that there were some things that we could do to improve on my business report. Yeah. For profit yeah. gauges. 
Um, and as it looking now, I'm not coming to terms on the other offer, so I am going to be in my truck for quite some time. And want to see what uh, what changes or what could we address on that business report. Okay, so there's a couple things. Uh, first off, any opportunity in in your operation to increase revenue because that's the first thing I'm seeing you're doing about a dollar 28 a mile for all miles that that's a I am actually and I am actually changing as we speak I'm in route to uh, drop my equipment off at the carrier I'm with and I'm going back to my previous carrier and I'm going on a 75 percent uh, take on the billable amount okay okay and they are so covering on this they're also going to cover the plates the IFTA. um there's they're going to cover everything for for me and i get 75 percent is the deal i'm looking at now okay so what we need to do then is just wait and watch your profit and loss each month and see what happens Hopefully that number comes up off of a dollar twenty-eight a mile and goes higher. And if it does, that's going to be a really good thing. So we want to pay attention to that first off. Um, fuel, your fuel cost is pretty good. I wouldn't spend too much time there. There's always a little bit of room for improvement. The one I see here though that is really high right now is maintenance at thirty-two cents a mile. Um, I'm assuming there's either been a lot of upgrades or some pretty big repairs. I just purchased this truck in, in December of last year, and I believe you're right. looking at my first quarter of this year. Right. And that was a lot. I had uh, I had to put ten brand new tires on it. Um, okay. The, the initial things I wanted to step through for getting it. It's a 2003 Volvo with an N14 in it. Okay, so that that's what we need right now. Then is just time. We need another, and we watch it every single month. We probably need a quarter of the new operation to really start to see what the trends are going to be. Uh, but you can certainly, you know, get your first month into profit gauges, and then call me back, and we'll start looking at it. But it's probably going to take a full quarter of this new operation before we see how things are going. Right, and uh, the forecast, the numbers that they give me to give me an idea where they're at right now with this new program is averaging 2,200 miles a week at $2.12 a mile. Okay, that would be so, that would be outstanding um, if we that get there. That was what I thought. That would, <laughs> yeah, that would be a huge improvement in what we're doing right now. So, Keep doing what you're doing. Keep your quick or your uh, keep your profit gauges up to date, counting, you know, current. And let's take a look at it a month from now after you've been in this operation for a month. Let's head off to Oregon. Jeff, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. This is Jeff. I've got a question about um, switching over super singles for you. Okay. Um. Uh, let's see. At the at the uh, at the CMC on the fuel mileage makeover, um, the Toyos that I'm running, they're M157. Uh, I didn't realize when I originally bought them, they're um, rated at 70 for the rolling resistance. 
So, okay. and that was that was dumb luck on my part. Uh, it, that wasn't originally the reason that I I got. Them. I'm running a flatbed operation, and uh, with empty tanks, I've got an all aluminum flatbed, and with half empty fuel tanks, I can scale 50. So. Originally, I was thinking that I would get some fuel economy by going with super singles, but right now I'm thinking that the only advantage is to be able to scale 50 and keep my fuel tanks full, uh, full which um, I, did, I try to do as much LTL as I can, uh, so the weight would be helpful sometimes to get a maybe an additional partial on or something like that. Um, but I'm, right. I'm just trying to wrap my head around the the numbers, the the prices that I keep coming up with for switching over for new rims are about four twenty five, four fifty a rim and roughly about a thousand bucks per per tire. So the replacing the tires I have uh is gonna cost me thirty five hundred uh with the casings and everything turned in. So I'm looking at about uh, maybe twenty five hundred dollars difference. All new tires, all new rims, switching over to the super singles, and I'm just trying to get an opinion on um, if that is really going to pencil out. Yeah, so what you're saying, I want to make sure I have the numbers correct. What you're saying is if you wanted to just stick with the type of tire you have now, it would only cost you about $1,000 to make the, to get new tires? No, it'd be, it'd be uh, 3500 for a set of eight drives. Oh, but if so I, 3500 if I, But if you get wide singles, how much are you going to have to spend? Uh, I'm looking at maybe um, $6,000 is what it's looking like to me. That's assuming $1,000 okay. for each tire and about 425 450 for each new wheel. Okay, so an additional 2500 That's the difference. Now, roughly... How long will a set of trailer tires last you? How many years or how many miles? Oh, and this is for the tractor. Um, uh, I've gotten 215,000 out of this set, and I'm I'm going to have to switch them over uh, probably next month. My tread depths are at, at four and at five thirty seconds. Okay, so 200 plus thousand miles out of Okay, hold that thought and we'll come back and we'll talk about some numbers right after this break. Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. I'm going to get back to the phones. I was talking with Jeff in Oregon. So, Jeff, here's one of the ways to look at this. 
in the beginning, that feels like a really big upfront cost. And it is. $2,500 when you have to write the check is a lot more than if you don't have to write the check. But if we look at the lifetime of the tires, we can see, if we do the math, it's only a penny more per mile. So that starts to sound a whole lot smaller. So now you know any time you were able to throw another LTL on there, I mean, you get way, way, way more than a penny per mile extra to throw another load on there. So it wouldn't take a, it wouldn't take getting that extra load very often to make up that penny per mile difference. So there's a really good chance that by having that weight savings, it's going to more than pay for the additional cost of the tire. Then we could also look at some of the other benefits of the wide singles. I think they handle better. They're much easier to check your air pressure because you're only screwing around with one tire and you're not messing around with the inside tire. Although I would have a tire pressure monitoring system, especially with the wide singles. But I just think there are enough advantages to wide singles, and you have an even bigger one with the weight savings, that a penny per mile is really easy to overcome. Okay. All right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I appreciate your you putting your eyes on it. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. And that's a that's a really good question. That's a really good analysis. Here's the cost, where are the benefits, but that's how we would do it. We take the, the additional cost of the tire, divide it out by the life of the tire, the expected life, and in this case, in this calculation, it was only a penny per mile. And it was barely a penny per mile. Let's go to Colorado. Steve, welcome to the program. Steve, are you with me? Yeah, I sure am, Kevin. Thanks for taking the call. It's uh, so 50 years old, not interested in having any kids. What's the story with vasectomy? Is healthy, not healthy? What say you? You know, I'm glad you're asking because I think we should all question um, all medical procedures. Um, I've done a ton of reading. There are some medical procedures that I would not go anywhere near anymore. Um, yeah, but like I that haven't colonoscopy. Found... You were saying the colonoscopy oh, yeah. is out, right? Any... Well, let me just address that for a second. I will not do any medical screening looking for a disease when I have no symptoms. So they're not doing colonoscopies. They're not doing heart scans. They're not doing body scans. I am not letting anybody measure my body looking for some random disease. That is never going to happen. And I could do a whole show on why, uh, but just, yeah, medical screening, not going to happen. Now, I may choose to go have some blood work done to pull out certain numbers, like to make sure that I'm getting enough vitamin D, to make sure my mineral balance is good, to check for, yeah, you know, marker, markers. Of, yeah, to check for markers of inflammation. That's good information, uh, to check for markers of inflammation. That's all good information that I can use. But the industry that does these random screenings looking for problems 
I'm not doing any of those ever. Now, a vasectomy is very different. I mean, there's a reason you want to do this, a specific reason. Um, I have not found any literature, any research anywhere that there's any real negative consequence to a vasectomy. So that's one of those things where, you know, I, I try to stay as far away from the medical community as I can these days, but I understand the reason for that. And as far as I know, I haven't come across any real downsides. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Ohio. Dan, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing great. What's on your mind today? Ah, uh, oral sample. Did they, did they give it to you? They did. I've got it here in front of me. And it looks like uh, looks like you've been fighting a fuel dilution problem forever, but it, it's at least better than it used to be. Um, and it's actually at a point where I'm not sure if I would try fixing it or not. You're right there on the borderline. Yeah. Uh, your last sample was 4.2. Now you're 3.6. 4.2. I actually changed. Go ahead. I was say I actually changed one injector since then. I uh, I broke a rocker arm and I had to change the injector anyway. I think it might have been the bad one. <laughs> it could have been. We might have gotten lucky. At at 3.6, I would tell you don't do anything else. Just keep an eye on it. Yeah, now this three points. So you said two is like the zero now. Is that correct? Right. Right. Okay. That and so my soot went up a little bit because because I had to idle because my APU was broken for about a month there. Well, then that would I also increase fuel dilution. Yeah. So if you've been idling a lot and your fuel dilution is only at 3.6, I wouldn't do anything. I, I would just keep sampling and keep an eye on it. Okay. And this this engine has been running really well. It's got I've got 1.1 million on it now, and it's still not using any oil. Now I I put in two quarts for it the day before I took the sample. It was half a gallon down, and just to get it right for the level to check the sample. But uh, it's still yeah. not burning any oil. That's excellent. I, I just keep doing what you're doing. Okay. Well, then that's uh, that's what I needed to know. All right. Great stuff. Thanks for the call. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a good looking sample now. Looks like we've got that problem taken care of. Let's see. Looks like I have time for another call before the break. Let's head off to Wisconsin. Gary, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. See, I was the one I called in a few shows back about I had a fuel dilution at 7.1. And I went in to uh, Interstate Power Services, and uh, they found that uh, I did not take the plug out of the bottom of the fuel pump on my uh, D-Deck 3 uh, Detroit when I put a new fuel pump on. So what it did is it built pressure, you know, because I guess they, they outgas and stuff with the pressure. And plus I have the fast right system pushing on it. So I ended up wrecking. What happened is, is I wrecked a fuel pump. And so it was pumping fuel right straight through from the fuel pump 
into the compressor. Ah, okay. Well, that'll do it. Yeah, I never knew that you had, you were supposed to take the plug out. Well, that's uh, when that's you... an interesting lesson. Yeah, um, and, and yeah, that's not always case. That's a specific you know pump that requires that to happen. So the good news is um, that's a much better thing to find than you need a whole new set of injectors. Exactly. Yep. So I just got that done this morning, and now I'm. Because I've been doing a lot of idling, now I'm over at the other shop. Uh, they're going to finish up my wiring on my my rigmaster. I had a wiring harness that went out, and so they're gonna they got about an hour left to finish up on that, and then I won't be idling all the time. And then I got to drive all the way back home and change the oil. Got to get well, this. Got to go, that... get this. Got to get this oil out. <laughs> yeah, guess is you're going to see a much much better oil sample when you're done. Yep, yep. So that's I just figured I'd give you an update. But it's still better. Well, my seven point one was still my seven point one was still better than the guy that was before me that was at twenty two percent. That's insane. Twenty two percent fuel dilution? No, you yeah. that same day that I called that I called in, he said he he thought it was twenty two percent. I think he had a two point two. Yeah, I, I remember now. You're right. That uh, I, I I almost came unglued when I heard that, but I think you're right. I think it's going to be a 2.2. Um, good news on yours, though. Thanks for the update on that. I'd like to hear that. Plus, it gives us one other thing that uh, we know to watch out for on that particular engine. If somebody has a fuel pump replaced, you got to go back and check that out. Let's go to Nevada. Julius, welcome to the program. Oh, Julius, I wasn't paying attention. The music just snuck up on me, so I'm going to put you back on hold, and we're going to get to a break, and then I will come back and get to your questions. So stick around. We'll be right back with more stuff. Kevin Rutherford. All right, a quick heads up. We've got one more segment to record, and I have two questions on hold, so I might be able to squeeze one or two more in if you press one on your phone right now, and you're the first one through, I should be able to get to you. So if you've got a question, a comment, a topic, go ahead and press one right now. Here we go. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. I'm going to get right back to some phone calls. Uh, Julius, it's your turn now. Go ahead. Hello? 
Yep, it's your turn. Go ahead. Okay, um, I had to get a um, newer truck. Um, one in California once a week now. And uh, I was wanting to know what upgrades I could do to maximize my performance and fuel mileage uh, on a 2017 Packard MX-13 without doing my okay. work. Yeah, so... Now, um, and and I'm hearing now I can uh, get my older truck retrofit. Yes, you can retrofit the older trucks. DPF retrofits are fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. They're not cheap. So it's one of those things that yes, it can be done. We don't have a lot of data on how well it works uh, but it can be done. Um, as far as your current truck there are several things we could do and nothing you do modification wise can void the warranty unless the manufacturer proves that it was the modification that caused the failure. Like dealers will tell you you can't put a bypass filter on that voids the warranty. That's bullshit. It does not void the warranty. It's the only way a, a modification voids the warranty is if the modification caused the failure, and then the manufacturer doesn't have to stand behind it because it wasn't their failure. Then the, the company who makes the product would have to stand behind it. For example, every company we work with that does modifications has their own insurance. So if something went wrong with their product and it caused a problem with your truck, their insurance would cover that problem. So forget the warranty thing. It's that these modifications don't void the warranty. I would be looking at the fast fuel system, uh, fleet air filter, the air tabs, flow below, um, the scan gauge KR, obviously, all of those are good fuel mileage upgrades and modifications that will pay for themselves pretty quickly. Other than that, um, getting the truck into Pittsburgh Power, it's kind of like fuel mileage headquarters for us. Everything that we recommend, they have, they understand it, they can install it, plus they can do the ECM tuning and look around for other opportunities as well while they've got the truck there. Let's go to Kentucky. Edward, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin. My wife has trouble with acid reflux, so I'd heard a piece on your show where you was recommending something about taking a tablet to control your stomach acid, so I had her to listen to it. She wanted to know what your qualification was to be giving out medical information because she goes to a doctor about every two or three years about this problem. And, and I couldn't answer so, the question. I don't really know what your qualifications are. She said, and she heard that you sold the tablets too. So she said, well, he's just trying to sell stuff. Well, she's, she's good to be skeptical. So let, let's talk about a couple things. And I will tell you what my qualifications are. But before we do that, Let's talk about the fact that she's been going to a medical doctor for several years, right, for this particular problem. Yeah. Yes. Why does she still have 
problem. Because uh, all they're doing is trying to maintain it. They just give her some, you know, something to control her acid. They run a scope on her about every two or three years to check the condition of her esophagus. So here's what I here's what I would do. Um, here's what I would recommend for her instead of her just believing me, um, which I understand her being skeptical. And again, we will get to um, to my qualifications, but there are also some really good books about this. There's a good book called Why Stomach Acid Is Good for You. And this was written by a doctor who specializes in this. So she can certainly look up his qualifications. I have read multiple books on this condition. So a lot of my information is coming from those books that I've read. As far as my qualifications, I am an NTP, a nutritional therapy practitioner. And the difference between what we do and what we're trained in and what a doctor is trained in a doctor is trained in identifying a problem and prescribing a drug to cover up the symptoms. Your doctor will not tell you that anything he is doing is going to fix this problem because he's not. All he's doing is covering up symptoms. That's why she still has the problem. Nutritional therapy practitioners believe that all of our medical conditions, all of them can be solved with nutrition alone. We don't need drugs. We don't need surgeries. Nutrition, our body is designed to be healthy. That's the default state. We were healthy for tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years without doctors and without drugs. And now all of a sudden, we have doctors and we have drugs, and we are more unhealthy than ever. So what we believe as, a, as nutritional therapy practitioners is we just need to get back to eating real, whole, nutritional food. Now, specifically stomach acid, acid reflux is not caused by too acid. It's caused by not enough. But it, the way to cover up the problem, the burning that it's causing, is to neutralize the acid. That will stop the burning. The problem is that stomach acid is critically important to your health. Without good, strong stomach acid, you can't digest your food and you can't get all the nutrients you need. Without good, strong stomach acid, you open your body up to a lot of bacteria and pathogens that the stomach acid is supposed to kill. You know, why are people getting sick more often with things like E. coli and salmonella and all of these other bacteria or foodborne illnesses? They're getting sick a lot more because doctors keep putting everybody on these acid-blocking drugs, these acid-neutralizing drugs. We have that stomach acid for a reason. Hers needs to be stronger, not weaker. So she will. She can either listen to her doctor and spend the rest of her life on those drugs. She will never be able to stop them if she listens to her doctor. And she's harming her health because she's open to pathogens and bacteria and she's not digesting her food. But again, instead of believing me, and I don't want to sell her anything. In fact, I don't even want her calling us looking for that supplement. You can find that supplement someplace else. 
Go buy it from somewhere else so she's not worried about that conflict of interest with me. But go read the book. Just read one book, Why Stomach Acid is Good for You. It explains it all. Okay. Yeah, she's had trouble with that uh, ace valorian. Is that an infection in the stomach? Yeah, I yeah. know. That's because because yeah. the doctor is blocking her stomach acid. That's what protects yeah. against that problem. So, see, the, the doctors cover up symptoms and then create new problems, and then they'll give her some other drug. See, here's what – and look, I'm not criticizing your wife. I think she has good, healthy skepticism. That's, that's good. What I, would, what I would ask of her, why isn't she that skeptical of her doctor? Her doctor charges her for office visits, right? Right. Her doctor charges her to write the prescription, right? She has to pay the doctor for all of these services. Why isn't she as skeptical of him? He's been working on the problem for a couple of years, and he hasn't fixed it. He's still making money off of her. In fact, he has more of an incentive to keep her sick the rest of her life. That's the only way he makes money. If he gets her healthy, he stops making money. I agree. I agree. When's this show going to be broadcasted? Uh, this, let me think. Uh, I'm not sure, but it might be this Friday or Saturday night. Okay. I'll try to keep listening while so, I can get her to listen to it. Yeah, yeah get her to listen. Um, you can also go on the website. It'll always be there on our podcast network. But let her read the book. She doesn't have to believe me. I understand. I'm not a doctor. Um, I, I do know a lot about this kind of stuff. If somebody calls me about a real medical issue that I don't understand, I just say, look, I don't understand. That That's not what I do. But when it comes to nutrition and some of these problems, I understand these way better than some doctors do. And with that, I'm going to have to get out of here. I am all out of time. But thanks for joining me. And uh, I wish people, I'm glad people are skeptical of any kind of advice. I wish they would be that skeptical of their doctor. I wish they would question their doctor harder. Ask the doctor why he can't cure this. See, I believe this can be cured. Then you won't even need me at all. Ask the doctor why he can't cure this. We'll see you next time. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you back here tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in to The Audio Road. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash letstruck.